This morning's sermon text tells us the story of an aged man named Simeon and an older woman named Anna, a couple in Jerusalem that are longing for consolation. They're longing for relief. Maybe we can relate. Our church family is filled with this kind of longing in the face of so much that has happened even in just this past week. Paul writes about this kind of longing in his letter to the Romans. He says in chapter 8 of that letter, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed, is going to be revealed to us. For all of creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons and daughters to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of these broken down bodies. Now it is in this hope that we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it. Eagerly. With patience. (laughs) Oh, he had to include that, didn't he? It's hard to wait. It's why we so often open with a welcome here at Grace to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who have failed and desire strength. Because we need consolation, right? We all come in with our own stuff this morning. Let's pray about that together. Father God, I look out at these men and women, boys and girls, and Father, just every every person, every soul representing a different story and a different pathway that brought them here to this morning. A whole bunch of other people that I can't see through a camera lens joining us via live stream. There's so many burdens that we carry, Father. And we've brought them all here with us. And maybe just for a little bit, would you help us to lay them down to find rest here? I think we could say we've probably already tasted it singing these songs. Messiah, you are our hope in life and in death. God, you did so love the world that you gave your only son. We have much to celebrate even as we ache in this Christmas season. Thank you for sending Jesus. 
Thank you for Christmas trees and Christmas lights and Christmas cookies. Father, thank you for family and for friends. Thank you for this church. I am so very grateful for Grace Church. Would you continue to bless us now as we sing and we call out that the one who came would be indeed God with us this morning. If you would open in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Advent is a season for telling, learning, and reliving the story of Jesus which, of course, stands at the heart of our faith. We are signing on as part of God's larger project, God's forward purposes, His plans for the whole creation to be renewed so that, as the prophet said, the earth will be full of the knowledge and the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. In Jesus, God brought heaven and earth together. And in his second coming, that joining together will be complete. That is our Advent hope. Amen? And this is what we will celebrate over the coming month. We will discover as we enter into the darkest time of the year over the winter months, (laughs) how Advent offers a gleam of light because of the glory of the Messiah. I love this time of year. Who loves Christmas? Yes, and amen. We are going to explore over this time how Jesus brings hope and joy and peace and love, and it's all going to culminate on our Christmas Eve services at 3 and 5 p.m. where we are going to sing together of all that he has accomplished. This morning, we set our our sights on the idea of hope. Hope, in the words of Tim Mackey, is the feeling (laughs) of anticipating a future. Let's start over. (laughs) Hope is the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. Which means hope is pretty crucial for human existence. Which means because God cares about humans, that it's a really important concept in the Bible. This morning, we're going to see a number of ways that the Bible talks about hope, and how we're going to do that is beginning with a story. A story of two people who were hoping, who were anticipating and longing for a future that was better than their present. Two people who were an important part of the story of the first coming of Jesus. Look at chapter 2, verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. He was looking forward, forward. Have you ever looked forward to something? 
like December 25th. He was looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Oh, this is a theme. While you read the the book of Luke, you just see the Holy Spirit all over the place. Luke just wants to make sure you see the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was on Simeon, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw Yahweh's Messiah and guided by the Spirit. He entered into the temple. This isn't an accident. God's at work here. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and he praised God. And he said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace. I'm ready to die. You can do that just as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples. This little one here is a light for salvation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And Simeon blessed them. And he told his mother Mary, and just new mom, Bring a little baby for the rites described by her faith. This old man proclaiming these amazing things. But I can imagine mom's little baby. He's praising God. And then he leans in close and whispers this into your ear. This child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be opposed. In other words, he will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your soul. And all of this is going to happen that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. What is Simeon talking about at the very birth of Jesus? He's talking about the cross of Jesus. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And she was a widow now for 84 years. 84 years. She did not leave the temple serving God night and day. How did she serve? Look at it. With fasting and prayers. And at that very moment, okay, so while the whole Simeon and the baby and the Mary thing are happening, she comes up recognizing what's going on and begins to thank God and to speak to him, speak about him to everybody who were looking forward. What is Simeon looking forward to? The consolation of Israel. What's Anna looking forward to and talking to, talking to everybody about? The redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful this morning that the season of Advent is upon us. (laughs) Reminding us yet again in a festive and beautiful and powerful way of the hope that we have in Jesus. 
And we need this hope, Father, because we are broken people in a broken world experiencing so much sorrow and pain and darkness. And apart from you, we would have no hope. So inspire us this morning through the stories of these two ordinary, suffering, oppressed, and yet hope-filled people. Yes, and very amen in Jesus' name. Two very ordinary people. They're not powerful. (laughs) They're not particularly special. They're not having a big impact on the world about them. No one probably knew their names at the time that they were living. Just two people among the thousands that are crowding into Jerusalem in the first century among the billions who have lived on this planet. And yet, here they are in the Bible, a crucial part of the most significant story in all of history. And you share something very fundamental with them, something common to humanity, really. Because you do, there is something that you can learn from them in this thing that you share with them. Because because either you are right now where they are in this moment, or sure enough, you are going to be where they are, and you need to prepare for its arrival. None of you is separate from or immune to what is happening to these two. What is it? They're waiting. They're waiting. First, Simeon. Old, righteous, devout Simeon. And pay close attention to what Luke zeroes in on as he writes what we call the story of Christmas. Simeon is waiting, chapter 2, verse 25, which means there is something that has not yet arrived. And he's got his sights set on it. He's looking to receive it. His desire is unfilled. His need is unmet. And just what is Simeon waiting for? What does it say in verse 25? Look at it. Consolation. Well, what's that about? Well, one could respond with an oversimplistic description like comfort or relief. But so often what we're meant to do when we come to the Bible or when we come to stories is is not to just merely go to our dictionaries to find out the definitions of words. Words communicate more than just a simple definition, right? They communicate a reality. They communicate a sense. They communicate a feeling. Consolation as a word, seeks to get at the source of a kind of calming of one's soul, a a soul that is bound in the tension of disappointment and want, and it's working to communicate what it feels like when that disappointment is resolved finally. And that feeling, when the disappointment and the tension is resolved, that's what we call consolation. You see, Simeon is living in the mess of life. Anybody else feel like there's mess in your life? He's living in the tension and expectation of a better future. He's living in a... It's like when you pull a cord tightly. Have have you ever pulled, like tied a rope to something that's strong and firm and you pull it really tight and you tie it to something else? That's the kind of tension that he's living in. Constant. Taut. He's waiting for release. 
but there's been no release. He is stuck in the discomfort of the waiting, the weightiness of it, the uncertainty that defines it. And he's not alone. See, this isn't just about Simeon. He's, he's doing this on behalf, for himself and on behalf of his people. They're all living in this. They're all in need of relief and comfort, of peace and saving in the midst of their affliction and suffering. And just what is that about? What, why? Why is he waiting for something? What, what's the problem? Well, the problem is that he's living under Roman oppression. The problem is that God has been silent for 400 years. That's the last time one of his prophets spoke. And he's waiting like, God, will you bring relief? And before he dies, he just wants to see peace for himself and his people. Verse 29. He wants to taste the shalom that has so long been promised by Yahweh. And Anna, she's just like Simeon. She knows the mess too. At a young age, this quiet and beautiful Jewess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, entered into the joy of marriage to a dashing young man from Israel. Oh, can you imagine the happiness of it? Their whole lives in front of them. So much promise and hope. And then just seven years later, he dies. And she enters into a season of 84 years of being a widow, alone, on her own. She's lived this quiet life of waiting. And just like Simeon, Anna feels the tension too. How do we know that? Because we see in the text that she's pleading night and day for change. She she, she spends every day in the temple, day and night, 84 years. Think about that the next time you say, you know, God, I've been asking about this for quite a while, you know, for the last week. And what does she do? She takes up the ancient practice, the form of protest against the status quo, the act of asserting that all is not well. She fasts. She robs herself of what her body needs to declare the truth that she has been robbed of what her soul needs, which is redemption. Verse 38, like consolation, it's just a word, but it's doing so much work here. It's trying to communicate the picture of someone who is is bound by an oppressive reality. Like, have you ever felt caged and trapped? Like you just can't get free of something? Like Like a bird? And you just want that little door open so you can just fly? That's redemption. That's release. That's what she wants. Kind of sounds like the removal of tension, doesn't it? The experience of being liberated from an oppressive situation, just like righteous, devout Simeon. In other words, she wants to be, both of them want to be saved from the mess of life. And just like with Simeon, it's not about what Anna wants for herself. She wants it for her city and for her people. Can you relate to Simeon and Anna this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and you know what it's like to be in a season like this in the mess of life. Maybe you know what it's like to feel hemmed in 
surrounded, that there are these circumstances and factors in your life, these conflicts, this, this chaos. And taken together, they're like the dire soldiers of some dark brigade that stand like an army against you, taking you to the place that you don't want to be, ushering you along. You feel like there's just nothing you can do about it. You're just completely powerless. There's so many stories. Family like this. Just this last week in our congregation, in our church family. It got to Wednesday and George and I sat together and we're praying. We're like, what is going on? This is just cr- it's crazy. It just seems like person after person going to the ER. Critical situation. Getting sick. Having to be taken to the hospital. Having to be taken home. Contagious all by yourself. Getting text messages. My spouse can relate to Job this morning. She's suffering so much. Please pray. The prayer list is longer than it's ever been since I've been here as a pastor. And that's just the ones that we know. So much grief and pain. And maybe like Simeon and Anna, you find yourself waiting for consolation and redemption and for relief. And we're all reminded that the holidays do not insulate us from this. Pain and grief do not care that it's Christmas. We wish they did. They don't. And knowing, knowing what to do in the waiting is crucial for healthy human existence. <laughs> I've said for a, a lot of years, I'm not a good waiter. <laughs> I am not a good waiter. Anybody relate to that? <laughs> I, I struggle with impatience. I was reading this novel a number of years ago by Marilyn Robinson called Housekeeping. And it, there was this moment in this character that captured my experience so well. Listen to it. I hated waiting. <laughs> if I had one particular complaint, it was that my life seemed composed entirely of expectation. I expected an arrival, an apology. There had never been one. Just when I had gotten used to the limits and dimensions of one moment, right? So I'm in this moment, and I feel like I can understand it, and and I'm navigating what's going on in it, I'm immediately expelled into the next moment. Made to wonder again if any shapes are hiding in its shadows. From time to time, it is highly likely that we all inhabit this kind of experience. From moment to moment, there's this soul ache that will not depart as we live in expectation for what will be. Will it be good? Or will it be something that leaps from the darkness of the shadows to get me? And we long to know that if in this moment are waiting, well, will it be satisfied? Am I finally going to get that job? 
Will she show me favor and attention? Will he ask me out? Is this the year we get pregnant? Will my paycheck be enough? Is this season of depression finally going to come to an end? Will this be the Christmas that is finally a season of hope instead of a season marked by unmet expectations and pain? Can I just be free from shapes hidden in the shadows? I think we're all familiar with the pain of an expectation crushed. Have you ever had your expectations crushed? And we're likely all familiar of what it's like when moments in pain like that get strung together and seem not to end. And like the character in Robinson's novel, we can begin to feel that each succeeding moment only carries with it the potential of another failed expectation. Or if that's not you, maybe there's someone close to you that is experiencing that, whether or not they've even had the courage or vulnerability to share that with you. How many people struggle in silence in their pain? We're surrounded by men and women living this way in all different varying degrees of it, right? So how do we respond? How do we respond to that for ourselves and, and for those who are on the prayer list and, and when you go to the hospital and you sit there by the bed and they're there again for when the person shares with you the difficulty and the weightiness of their diagnosis? How do you respond when you're hemmed in by those dire soldiers that make up our circumstances, wondering if any further shapes are hidden in the shadows? How do, we, how do we not only survive, but thrive in the moments despite the blows of unmet expectations? And how do we do that even at Christmas? Maybe especially at Christmas. If you haven't read the Bible and you don't place your full faith and trust in the God of the Bible to answer that question, of how you respond, your response is likely, well, I respond with optimism. Optimism is this positive belief, which is really a form of faith, that one's circumstances will get better and that they will work out for the best, right? It's going to get better. I just know it. Optimism's object, what it's aimed at, therefore, is the circumstances that surround you. And active optimism means doing something about those circumstances, right? Like if I can just control them and change them to bring about a well-ordered life, I will then have fulfilled expectations. That's my game. I'm the eternal optimist. I believe that somehow, some way, my current state will change and things will well, then finally, well, they'll be okay. That is optimism's object. Optimism's source of consolation and release, therefore, must be the arrival of that new state. You won't have any fuel to keep going unless that somehow actually happens. The source of the power of optimism is seeing change happen, entering into a moment that is now meeting your expectations. And as a result, all the feelings that we desire of peace, joy, happiness, and satisfaction are present. The mess of life is no longer a mess. It is now the good life. Optimism's object and fuel. But the Bible holds out a better way. 
the Bible holds out to us a different and far better response than these shallow aspects of optimism. Because you know what? Sometimes it won't get better. The circumstances won't change. You may have the cancer the rest of your life, however long that may be. The paycheck may never be enough. So what do you do then? The Bible says, respond with hope. Hope is that feeling of anticipating a future that is better than the present. That's what we said, right? And the Bible uses a few different words for this word. Yachal and chava in Hebrew. Alpis in Greek. And they all translate into our word in English, hope. And here's the interesting thing about this word and the way that we use it. Generally, we would probably almost use it synonymously with optimism, right? The the dictionary actually says these are synonyms. Or cinnamon, whatever the case may be. We would say in those times of difficulty that we are hopeful and we might just kind of think of it as this positive belief that things are going to get better. But the kind of hope that the Bible describes is fundamentally different than mere optimism. You see, in the Bible, hope is not dependent on our circumstances changing, at least not immediately. Hope can be present even if our circumstances remain the same. Which is why we see the word hope all over the Bible in contexts of unmet and unfulfilled expectations. That's Anna for 84 years. Hoping, fasting, praying, never giving up. We see hope all over in the Bible in the middle of the stories of people in the great difficulty and suffering, just like Simeon. And Anna. And that is because hope's object is not a circumstance and its improvement, and hope's fuel is not the arrival of that new and improved situation. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize that there is absolutely no evidence that things will get better. Read Hosea, read Habakkuk. Even though the tree and the harvest fail. And all the cows are dead. I will hope in the God of my salvation. They choose hope anyway. And that's because hope's object and the source of consolation for people in the Bible is not a circumstance, but a person. Let's listen to another human struggling with discouragement and sadness and pain, struggling to hope. This is the other thing, right? Like, we got to fight the fight of faith. We got to strive. It's going to be a struggle sometimes, and we have to help each other in this. This is why we're not meant to be alone. This is why we need a church family. This is why we're here this morning, right? Like, so that, so that in this lobby, and sanctuary that it can be just like a big popcorn popper and they're just like flinging this way and that. Some of you in a really good mood this morning and some of you in the lowest state and we just hope that you'll bump into each other at some moment and you'll transfer. You say, I just have no hope. And then someone else says, I got some for you. Take mine. God's good right now. I taste him. That's what David's doing. Why am I discouraged, he asked himself. 
Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in what? Changing my circumstance? Bringing about a new state? No! I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Why do you think this team stood up here this morning so that you could sing? So that you could praise God from whom all blessings flow. You see what David is doing here? He's fueling his soul with the good food of hope in God. He's making God the object of his hope and he's making God and his character and his promises the source of his hope. My friend John Bloom years ago wrote about this. He said this, hope is to our soul what energy is to our body. Hope is the spiritual energy generated in the soul when we believe that our future will be good even if our present is bad. Our souls must have hope to keep going just like our bodies must have energy to keep going. When our body needs energy, we give it what? Food. But when our soul needs hope, what do we feed it so that it is fueled and strong? What do we feed it? The Word. We feed it promises. God's promises, Jeremiah 29, 11, of a future and a hope. This is precisely why the Bible is a book, Peter says, full of precious and very great promises. Man was not designed, said Jesus, to live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So God designed the Bible to be a storehouse of nourishing soul food for the souls of his saints. Are you discouraged? (laughs) Read your Bible. (laughs) So in Psalm 43, when David exhorts his soul to hope in God, (laughs) he's preaching to himself. We got to preach to ourselves, family. Don't just wait for Sunday for preaching. We got to preach to ourselves. He's saying, listen, soul, what are you afraid of? Have you forgotten the glorious future that God has promised you? Do you believe your threatening circumstances are stronger than God? Get your eyes off your troubles and remember the source of your hope. Eat, soul. Eat God's promises. (laughs) So what does any of this have to do with Christmas? (laughs) He's made the connection. You see, Simeon and Anna were familiar with the promises of God. Their praise and worship and declarations are dripping with allusions to Old Testament promises of God to his people that they be hopeful in the bleakest of times because one day he would send a Messiah, a Savior, a Deliverer, a Redeemer, a consolation for his people and the world. And in this moment right here with Jesus coming into the temple, they are seeing the faithfulness of God to keep his word, which gives them reason to hope. 
And it gives us that reason too. Isn't this what Paul later writes about Jesus? For every one of God's promises is yes in him. In other words, in Jesus, we can have hope because in Jesus, all the promises of God are fulfilled. They are yes. And I think that that's pretty hopeful and hope producing and hope bringing. I think that can release the tension of expectations and longings being unmet because in Jesus, okay, I know, listen, I know these are just words. When I say in Jesus, all our longings and unmet expectations are met and fulfilled, I know those are just words. I know that for some of you right now, for some of you on that live stream, they feel like they're just falling to the ground, but please don't give up hope. It is our prayer, it has been our prayer that this morning they wouldn't be just words, but that you would see the person of the Messiah this morning, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, because there's nothing my words can do here, it's only by the power of the Spirit that you can hear those words in that sentence and you can say, yes, it's true, it's true, and I want it in increasing measure. Give me more of Jesus, Father. Maybe it would help if we pull this out of the first century and into the 21st. Okay, I'd, I'd, I'm going to play a video for you in just a minute. And it's from a series years ago that was done by a group in the United Kingdom seeking to have an evangelistic tool at Christmas time. It's called Meet the Nativity. The idea is to look into the life of a small family and see what would happen to their Christmas if the pool house on their property became a portal magically to transport you to the stable. Okay, I know that sounds a little corny. I get it. And actually, it is a little corny. But you know what else? It's really moving too. Because in this video, what you're going to see is someone named Ruth, and she's a stepmom. And she's wrestling with the pain of her past getting in the way of her ability to be hopeful about the future. She's an outsider at Christmas. She feels estranged from the heart of her family and from the joy that she's meant to feel at this most wonderful time of the year, right? Anybody ever feel that? Like, I'm not happy. Leave me alone in the corner with my wassail. It's not a wonderful time for Ruth. You're going to see that Christmas is quite difficult for her. And so she's coping the only way that she knows how by trying to take control of her immediate circumstances. Isn't this what we do so often? She's doing her best, but she's feeling far from Christmas joy. Ruth's story, I think, reflects the story of so many at Christmas we feel that we need to be full of Christmas cheer and, and yet for any number of reasons, maybe it's a particularly hard season in your life. How do we cope? Well, maybe perhaps we try and take control. We want to tidy up things a bit. But it never works. We just keep feeling fed up, 
underappreciated and surrounded by mess. And then Ruth meets the nativity. She discovers a Christmas hope that invades all of her chaos and, and cries out, that baby should not be here. <laughs> and she's right, isn't she? The Son of God shouldn't have stooped to such circumstances. He belongs on a throne, not wriggling on straw in a cold manger and a hostile world. But there he is. And he's offered to Ruth, my hands are dirty, she objects. But he doesn't seem to mind. Jesus is given to her anyway. And as Ruth receives this ultimate Christmas gift, she's finally still. She had exclaimed in exasperation to the vicar, and now she says to the Messiah, welcome to the mess. What mess? The mess of the stable, the mess of the world, the mess of our lives and our hearts, because they'll never be fully clean and tidy the way that we might want, will they? And so what do we say to Jesus? <laughs> Welcome to our mess here at Grace, Jesus. And we say, as the carol says, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Worship team, would you come up? This Christmas, friends, there is one guest that you do not have to tidy up for. His whole mission, the whole mission of Jesus is to enter into our mess and to be received by dirty-handed failures just like you and me. To take that dirt on himself on the cross and to offer us, well, to offer us hope. <laughs> when we grasp this, when we grasp him, when we take hold of Jesus, well, we can then sing. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. It might seem strange to celebrate this table at Christmas time. But it's not. Simeon himself pointed the way, did he not? This child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, Mary, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You see, your fall and rise is absolutely tied to what you think of Jesus. We would see you rise <laughs> as he did. That's our hope. If you come into this place 
and you don't know Jesus, it, this morning can be the morning. All you have to simply do is say, I, I want life. <laughs> I would love to have abundant life. I would love to be delivered from the mess. You have no idea the mess. And Jesus says, yeah, I do. I've lived here. I know exactly what it's like. I know exactly what you're facing. And it's why I came to save even you, <laughs> even me. <laughs> so you don't have to be a member of Grace Church to partake in this table. Servers, would you come up? All you have to do is believe in him for the fulfillment of all of God's promises to you in him, even eternal life. That's all. If you're in this section here, we'd love for you to come out to this little aisle and come around to this table. And if you're in that section, head to the wall, come around that table there. This section, come down this aisle and I'll serve you. That section, go to the wall and come this way and Mark will serve you. Come and welcome to Jesus Messiah.